Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Well, we have an interesting episode today because I was on the phone yesterday talking to one of my good buddies and uh, industry veteran about mortgage financing and whatnot. And uh, Aaron has been on the show multiple times. And we were talking about interest rates and how they've gone up. And is it too high? And is it uh, a bad thing, a good thing? Does it even really matter? And we thought, hey, let's do a podcast episode on that because it's actually a pretty good topic because I think a lot of real estate investors today are asking, well, are mortgage rates too high? And the answer to that question, well, I'll just leave that till the end when we're all wrapped up. So Aaron has been a veteran in the finance industry since 1997, and he's been focused on real estate investors, which is why I love working with him so much. He just understands the game of investing and he knows how to structure mortgage financing. So it is optimized for what you want to do as a real estate investor. And he has a big team. I think it's 22 total staff members that help him finance investment loans. And I just found out today that he was ranked number seven out of 1.1 million loan officers around the country, which puts him right up there in the top 0.01% of loan officers. So with that, Aaron, welcome back to the show. Thanks, buddy. Good to be back. I think this is number seven that we've done. Number not, seven, how many not that times you've been on the show? I think this is the seventh deal, the seventh uh, podcast we've done together. Oh, wow. Well, I guess, uh, is that too much? <laughs> no, heck no, man. I'm waiting for, I can't wait for number eight. Well, you know what? Is, is that too much? It segues right into the topic of today's show. And that is when are mortgage rates too high? So, you know, obviously you and I probably have a biased answer to that. And we're, we're going to say that it's never too high, but I guess it really comes down to different factors. And so, you know, let's talk about those. So let's just start off with that basic question. When are mortgage rates too high? Well, I think the easiest way is to go back and look in history, uh, what mortgage rates have done. Now I get there's different economic things that were happening at that time too, but rates have pushed as high as, you know, reaching 20% as far as a 30 year fixed mortgage. And there's, there's always an environment where a 30 year fixed or a mortgage period will work regardless of the interest rate. But I think when is the rates too high is a personal question to be asked by the individual investor. Can he make the deal work or can they not make the deal work? Um, so deals that we were doing that, that you would have done where it was very, very lean and you start pushing those, the interest rates go to a certain point, you can't make the numbers work, you can't find a deal work, then yeah, the, rates, the rate might be too high, but I think it's not a matter of rate, it's just a matter of deal. And I think also the rate itself, ask, answering that question too high is really has to do with why is the person investing? Are they doing it because it's just the right time? The whole world is doing it. Interest rates are low, costs are low. Yeah, that's when everybody would do it. Anybody would invest when costs are low or, or cost of money is low. But that's not real estate investing. That's opportunist. Just It's opportunity. If you're an opportunivore and you're only taking advantage of opportunity when it's just laying out there, easy to pick up money off the ground, sure. But that's not what an investor does. When I think of mortgage rates or interest rates, what I think of is one or two things, actually. It's the cost of the money. It's the cost. You might think of it as the cost of doing business, but it's the cost to borrow that money to allow you to do the deal. So I think of it this way. If the cost of that mortgage money is, let's say, 3%, 
Well, that's the cost of borrowing that money. If it's 20%, it's 20%. It doesn't matter what it is. If at the end of the day, the deal works, if the deal makes sense from an investment perspective, it has a cash on cash return and a return on investment, then it doesn't matter what the cost is. If, it, if the cost to borrow your funds is let's say 3% and you're making 6%, well, you're making a 3% net gain. If the cost of that mortgage loan is 20% and you're making 30% total return and you're making that extra 10%, well, that's an extra 10% net profit ahead of the game. So you got to look at what are you getting out of it? Not so much what is it costing you? Because that's in a way being penny wise and pound foolish. Do you think I'm right or wrong in that way of looking at it? Well, hundred percent agree with you. It's a matter of what are you receiving? And I'll take it even a step further, depending upon how you go about the deal itself. Sometimes the return is infinite because how much of your money was actually in it. So if you take the time to see that, if you're, if it's a true arbitrage of just taking somebody else's money, putting it to work and somebody else is paying it back and you're scraping a little bit off the top for you, at the same time, then the return is infinite. Even though you're promising to repay this guy over here, as long as you can keep somebody else paying them, you're just making money on top of money. You know, when people talk about a cash on cash return, which was a great metric to really get people interested in real estate investing from the very beginning, but what they failed to really look at is the amortization metric of having somebody else pay off the financing. You know, if you're putting down their, your down payment plus your closing costs, and then you have a third party, even if there's no cash flow coming to you, just that third party occupying the real estate, paying back the loan, that itself is going to have a compound growth over that 30 years of paying off that mortgage, amortizing that loan against your initial investment. You could see an easy uh, 10% when you're putting 20% down plus if there's 5% costs, you're easy at 10% annual increase on your initial investment every single year, just by having somebody else pay off the loan. And then securing a long-term instrument, I mean, securing a, um, an asset that is appreciating because of inflation, even only appreciating, if you guys run the numbers yourselves, an 80% loan to value, meaning you borrowed 80% of the value of that home and appreciated only at 2.5% of the overall value annual, you're going to see another double digit increase on your investment. That's when you start getting to the point of, was it, you're not using your money to compound the growth of your investment. Plus, when it does get to a point of cash flowing, that's just compounded and uh, the compounded cherry on top of the Sunday, if you will. So for me, it's not a matter of what is the rates. It's not a matter of what are the costs. It's a matter of what's the total package. What's the cost of the money? What's the cost of the asset? How much will that asset yield on a, on a monthly basis based upon somebody else using that asset? What's, that, what's it going to cost to maintain that asset? When you start putting all that together and looking at it as a business, you see it as a business structure, cost of money and the rates really become very, very irrelevant. It's just the number in the deal. Yeah. I was talking to Kathy, who you obviously know very well, my operations manager yesterday, about this subject for this episode, you know, the cost of money and and whatnot. And the one thing we both agree on is, is that the rates are relative because she remembers the day when mortgage interest rates were above 18%. And, you know, I had to look it up to get the exact month for my own knowledge. And it was October, 1981. We had mortgage rates of 18.6%. Think about that. We're, you know, as you said, pushing 20%, 18.6% mortgage rate back then. And granted, you know, it probably slowed down the real estate market, but people were still transacting real estate. That was the high. The low was January 
2021 at 2.65%, incredibly low. I mean, that's almost free money. That's below the rate of inflation. So that's essentially free money, but that's a wide range. But if you look at the long-term average, according to Freddie Mac, their data, and you go back to 1971 and you pull an average, you're looking at just under 8%. So the fact that we're in that, you know, seven and a half, eight percent range right now, we're actually around that long-term average. It's not like this is abnormally high. It's not even low. It's just what it is. It's a long-term average. And also taking that long-term average you're talking about, 7.79% is that average that, that Freddie, I think 7.76 or 7.79 is what you're going to find with Freddie all the way back from 1971 to today. Um, but if you take out quantitative easing from 2009 to the day, which is when the Fed dumped in $8.9 trillion, the average interest rate was 9.1%. If you look at bankrate.com today, it's 8.02, according to bankrate.com for a 30-year fixed mortgage for a person buying a house to live in. So we're still below the, that average when the market is what dictated interest rates. The market was based upon mortgage-backed securities, people investing into those pools, us borrowing from those pools, taking from those pools to lend to the public. But when you start taking the U.S. Treasury capital, filtering it through the Fed, and then putting it into the market to bring those interest rates down artificially, even taking all that into account, the average interest rate from night from 2009 up until now is just under three, just right around three percent. When you take that and factor that in all the way back to 2000 to, to 1971, and we're still at nearly eight percent with that included in it, it tells us, guys, we're still at an amazingly low interest rate. When the market dictated the rates based upon the risk of putting money out there for people to use for housing, we're still lower than that risk was ever created from 1971 to 2009. Yeah, it's it's all about putting things into perspective. Like we like to say everything is relative and it is. I mean, when we were at 3%, that's really low compared to the historic average of 8% or where we are today around 8%. But if you compare that 8%, to where rates were well over a decade ago. It's a bargain. You know, it's, it's just funny. I remember when rates were going down from 11 to 10, 10 to nine, people were saying, holy crap, we're in the single digit now. You know, this is a great opportunity to refinance and get this lower rate of 9%. And, you know, people thought they just got a steal of a deal, like it's the deal of the century. And, and then it dropped to 8%. And it's like, okay, let's refinance. And we got a lower rate, a lower mortgage payment. And, you know, they're thinking, yeah, this is great. You know, it's all relative. I mean, when rates are high, are you comparing it to something that was higher or lower prior to that? And, you know, you might feel good or bad about it, but it is what it is. It's just the cost of money. You just have to adapt to it. As long as the deal makes sense, this is kind of the way I look at it. As long as the deal that you're underwriting makes sense, it's in a good market poised for growth. And it's in a good neighborhood where it's got uh, appeal and you're going to have a great tenant pool to draw from and the property pays for itself like it carries itself and your tenant is actually paying you and thereby paying off your mortgage you know it's probably a good deal so the cost of capital is just your ability to leverage your existing investment capital and put as little down as possible while allowing other people other people as an opm other people's money help you purchase the majority or the balance of that investment. So you put your down payment down, you borrow the rest. If the numbers pencil out, guess what? You've got an investment, you've got a deal. What am I missing there, Aaron? I 100% agree with what you were saying there. I look at it from a little bit more of a simpler perspective. You kind of outlined a part of a formula for people to use to determine 
what asset to buy or what business to buy. Because each I look at each property as its own business. Uh, I believe that what you're really searching for is something you can keep reasonably rented for the entire time you own it. You can raise rents on it and it will appreciate at least two and a half percent. If I'm seeing that, I'm happy with that deal. I'm very happy with that deal. But we also know that that's even those are those are cut down numbers. It's going to be stronger than that. One of the things I, I find a lot of solace in as far as making it strong uh, in buying. And this is Aaron Chapman's opinion. I believe that single family residences will be the most valuable real estate per square foot left on the planet. Why? Because it's being heavily targeted by the hedge funds. Your Black Rocks, your State Streets, your Vanguards are said, and I, I don't, this is just rumored, that they would have the capability to control 60% of the available single family housing by 2030 or 2035, one of those, one of those dates. That's significant. So I don't see if that's a target of theirs that anybody in our space that wants to get in and own that real estate is going to get anything but improvement and that growth that we were just talking about. But you also have to be picky about where you buy it, right? There's a lot of people that are so caught up in the cash on cash return metric that was the easy sale point for the last few years that that's all they focus on. But then you're in a market where it's a rougher tenant. It's a rougher neighborhood. It's a house that's going to take a lot of upkeep. Any cash you made is going to go back into keeping that house even occupiable because of the the factors you're dealing with all those others so it's taking the time to understand what makes the most sense to you and what makes the most sense from a from a long-term perspective not not how much i'm going to cash flow the first year but how you much you're going to cash flow and and other things within that first five years if you look back in history and you and i have listened to our uh, mentors always say when you start a business you need to have reserves for at least the first three to five years before you start to see cash flow I don't think real estate's any different. We were given a gift for the last decade that you could walk in and get cash for the day right out of the gate. I believe that it always has been, always should have been looked at as you're going to see a compounding cash flow growth, you know, for that five, six, seven, eight, ten years. And that's where your target needs to be, not looking at what am I going to cash flow in yeah. the first month. I want to give a quick example. I've used the same example on a couple of previous episodes over the last, I don't know, six weeks or so. Before I give the example, what would you say is a fair average annual rate of appreciation to use for this example is is five percent too high too low or i think i think five percent is very 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 fair i'm still seeing people out there talking eight and nine if you actually look at the case shiller core logic and, and black knight came out just this year they said that the national average is 8.9 percent in the u.s for appreciation so five is extremely fair how far back did they go in taking that average that's just 2023 Okay. So 2020 and 2021 were abnormally high. 2022 came down. So that's still a pretty healthy. That's smoking. 8.9% with the highest spike in interest rates we've seen. Yeah. We've never seen interest rates go up that fast, that hard. And we still saw an 8.9% increase in property prices. That's significant information yeah. for people to understand. Yeah. And, and that's heavily being driven by the high demand and low supply that I keep talking about time and time again on this show. I keep going back to the fact that we have a pretty significant imbalance when it comes to the housing supply in the country. It's just strong demand, not enough inventory. And those dynamics, uh, it's just economics 101, it's just pushing the prices up. It's pushing rents up too. I mean, even still to this day, a lot of my properties are seeing rental increases, not as much as it was two, three years ago, but we're still seeing rent increases every single year. So it's pretty strong. Mm -hmm. But let me share a quick example with you that I did one of the last few episodes. I took a $200,000 property where you're putting your 20% down, 20% is $40,000.
and I'm making the assumption that cash flow is not very strong because interest rates are at 8%. And I used 8% as this example. So that's giving you a net cash flow of only $200 a month. It doesn't sound like much. It's still positive cash flow, but for the sake of making this, you know, example illustrative, we're going to say it's $200 a month net cash flow. And it's a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Again, 8% interest rate. We're assuming an average 5% appreciation per year. That could be higher, could be lower, as we talked about. And a rent inflation of only 4%. So if you just look at this example in the first year, like just one year, your cash-on-cash -cash return at $200 a month for 12 months is 6%. I mean, it's not great. It's not bad either. It's $2,400 in, in cash flow for that first year. But here's where it gets exciting, Aaron. If you look at the amortization of that loan, which is the lowest in its first year, your return is $1,337. Let's do the math on that. It's 3.3%. You just take that equity gain divided by your down payment of $40,000, you're 3.3% ahead of the game in an unrealized return in year one. And that only gets better from there because each and every year that number is higher and higher and higher because you're amortizing more and more and more of the loan each and every year. So your equity return goes up every single year. So this is your worst case scenario is 3.3%. But you stack on top of that, the other side of the coin, the appreciation side. And if we're talking 5% on a $200,000 home, well, that's $10,000, right? $10,000 divided into your down payment of $40,000 is a 25% rate of return. Again, unrealized return, but it's still 25%. It's $10,000 more in equity that you have at the end of the year than you didn't have at the beginning of the year. And again, this is the worst case scenario. It, it only gets better from there. This is the worst you're gonna do is in that first year. That's just year one, guys. Understand that that's just year one. When you start averaging these things over 30 years, it compounds bigger. I only look at two and a half percent on the appreciation. Uh, when, when I do a number like that and what I show, with that is you're looking at 13%, even at two and a half. So it's just, it's an amazing uh, number. When you start getting into the total package, don't, don't quit just looking at that narrow vision of cash on cash. Look at everything Marco's talking about here and it becomes a significant investment. And people, for some reason, if money's not hitting your bank account, you're not feeling it. But it's amazing how people will invest in the stock market. It's like, oh, you know, it goes up and down and I'll just see how it all, it's, we've been conditioned. And unfortunately, the condition with the cash on cash uh, has gotten people away from looking at the total package. And that's I'm with you. We need to be championing this message to everybody that it's there's a lot more dynamics to real estate investing. It's way beyond cash flow because it's these assets. And these assets are going to compound. They're going to get huge. And I am I just closed on two properties in Missouri because I need to get my hands on as much investment real estate as I can as quickly as I can for the sake of my family, for not just me. It's not about me because these aren't going to cash flow that much. It's about the next two generations. Are they going to have the opportunity we have today with what we know about the target on the real estate, on the single family residents, and also the plan, we all know this is a plan, to uh, create a subscription-based economy. And when you're a subscription-based economy, you're paying monthly for everything. Well, if you don't own the real estate, you're, you're going to be paying the subscription. If you own the real estate, you'll be providing the subscription. We want to be able to do that for not just ourselves, but the next generations to be able to carry on that, that legacy. Legacy is not money. Legacy is assets. Carry on those assets and the education that we're giving you today is the education you need to be given to, to your, uh, your heirs so they have that to carry for yeah. you.
Yeah. So, you know, this, this is just exciting and it gets even more exciting as each and every year goes by with not just one property, but all your properties. So, you know, when you step back, let's go to the, back to the topic title theme of this episode, and that is our mortgage rates too high. Well, the example that we just talked about, Aaron, is an example based on an 8% mortgage rate, right? So if you buy this $200,000 investment property and you're getting whatever, $1,600 a month, $1,700 a month in gross rent, paying your expenses, you're paying your mortgage, your debt service, which is $1,467 a month based on an 8% rate. Well, you know, what's left over is your, is your cash flow. Let's just say you have zero cash flow, okay? Let's just say you don't have any cash flow for the first few years because your rent isn't high enough to cover the payment. But let's remember, you're locking into a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, which means that every month and every year, your mortgage payment is $1,467. What happens in like three, four, five years from now when your rent has gone up a few hundred dollars? Well, now you are heavier into your positive cash flow, right? Your rents will go up over time because of rent inflation. But your mortgage payment, guess what? It doesn't go up. It's going to be the same today as it is in 10 years from now, as it is in 15 years from now, as it will be when you pay off that last mortgage payment 30 years from now, it's going to be $1,467. But guess what? Because of inflation, that $1,467 30 years from now, when you pay off that mortgage, it's going to be the cost of a Starbucks latte <laughs> or something. Very much. In fact, I've got a calculator that will calculate that for you. If you go to the app store, you literally go get my app that calculates the time value of money in your mortgage. When you calculate what your mortgage payment is, you can fast forward all the way to 2053 and see that you actually paid less than what you borrowed in most cases, depending upon where that rate lies or within, within range of what you borrowed, even though you paid all this interest, inflation eroded the dollar for you. Because we have continued to see inflation every single year. And one way to really illustrate inflation and to tell people wrap their head around this, Marco, is in the 1920s and before, they would mint a $20 gold piece. It's a one-ounce gold piece. You could walk into a department store and get a hat, a suit, a tie, a shirt, a belt, a pair of socks, and a pair of shoes for that $20 gold piece. You walk into a department store today, you can't even get the socks for 20 bucks. But you can get all that stuff for an ounce of gold. Why? Because an ounce of gold is $2,000. It's not that gold has gone up in value. It's not that the cost of the suits and the hats and all the other crap has gone up in value. It's the instrument that we are trading for that, which is the U.S. dollar, has declined that much in value. So as I'm, as you're showing here, the, the price of everything is going to go up inflation. You're talking about the, the value of the home, the rents, your cash flows. Even just looking at that cash flow, the compound, you mentioned $200 a month in, in cash flow, but you're going to raise rent, you said 4%. What was the gross rent we were going off of this $200,000 house? Was it 1800 bucks? Um, what was it? I have to look it up. I think it was around 1700 bucks or something like that. So 1700 So if we're at 1700 bucks, we'll just do the quick math here. $1,700 and you're at a 4% increase, that's 68 bucks. Well, that 68 bucks now is what? 34% increase on your cash flow. You went from 200 to 268. Your cash flow is increasing double digits, guys. Think about that double digit compound increase on your cash flows every time you raise the rents by single digits. It's the long game. You've got to look at the long game. Quit getting so tunnel visioned that you think the interest rates is going to, going to crash everything. The other thing is I really warn everybody is quit trying to time the market. They think, well, it's, everybody says the rates are going to come down. I don't know that they are. Now, Warren Buffett himself, and we all will listen to Warren Buffett, says the 30-year fixed is the greatest financial instrument in history because it's a one-way bet. 
If the rates go down, you just refinance. But if they don't and they keep going up, which I believe they could for, for an extended period of time, you've protected yourself from a potential financial devastation that some people will get hit with if they do the arm. What's also interesting, CNBC recently, I've heard them, I was watching this, they were, have very low inventory, presently low inventory, and they say their best shot at inventory in the near future is when the arm rates start to come due. When the short-term loans start to start to transition to to their long-term loans, they said we could start seeing those foreclosures, people not being able to afford those houses, and inventory come back on the market. So, if you want to debate that? I'll debate it all damn day long. So, you know, we could go on and on about this, but from where I sit, to answer that big question, I'll, I'll tell you what my answer is. If you're asking me or asking somebody, well, especially me, whether mortgage rates are too high right now. My short answer would be no. Could they be lower? Sure. Would I like them lower? Yes. Can they be higher? Yes, they can be. Would it affect my decision to invest? No, it wouldn't because it all comes down to the deal. I want to look at the numbers and see if the numbers make sense. Does it pencil out? Does it make financial sense when I look at the investment holistically? Does it make sense to me to achieve whatever my financial goals are? If I have to pay a 9% mortgage rate to acquire a property that I know is going to be a good long-term investment and I stand to gain through the amortization and the appreciation and I will be getting positive cash flow in the years to come, even if I have to wait, let's say, four or five years from now. If I like everything about it and it checks all the boxes for me, I'll be willing to pull the trigger on a deal if the deal makes sense, again, holistically. So whatever is considered too high, and I say too high in air quotes, is really a personal decision and a financial decision. You've got to just look at all the factors and the unique circumstances of that deal. So when you underwrite it, you got to underwrite it based on the current market conditions. And when I say market conditions, that includes the current interest rate, whatever that mortgage rate is because it will change all the time. It fluctuates, it goes up, it goes down. We've had highs of 18.6% back in 1981. We've had a two point, whatever it was, you know, 2.67, 2 2.65% in January of 2021. So, you know, these things are gonna continually change. And so what, you know what? If you have a great deal in, in your hand today and you lock it in at 8% as a mortgage rate, and in three years from now, rates come down to let's say five, 5.5%, what do you do? You just refinance it you get the lower rate, you know, you can adjust. So, but at least you didn't lose out on that deal today and be able to ride the equity train for the next three, four years until you refinance it at cheaper money down the road. And maybe, maybe what you do is refinance it at a lower rate and pull some money out and take that money that you pulled out. And I'll, we'll say it's tax-free. You pull that money out tax-free, use that as your down payment to buy another property. Meanwhile, you still have the first property You've refinanced it for a lower rate, and now you have a, a good deal turned better, plus you have extra money because of the equity gains that you could use to put towards another investment property. So this just compounds itself in terms of what you can achieve and gain. And so this is why it's important to be not be myopic and short-sighted on it. You want to look at the long-term and the medium-term and what you could potentially turn this into. So anyway, I feel like I'm on a soapbox, you know, and just preaching, but Essentially, that's how I view it. A sermon like this is needed now and again <laughs> because of what's going on in the world. So, you know, Pastor Marco is uh, will definitely lead you. And you get in that point. Another point, it's, 
you got to be talking to the right people. So you know, we're, we're in an environment where, especially the lending environment, it is back to the levels of 1996. I got in 1997, as far as the volume of transactions getting done, the average person in my space is doing between zero and one transactions per month. I'm still doing, you know, 50 plus a month. Very, by the grace of God, are we still uh, that busy and taking on a hundred new applications a month? It's very, very awesome to see that kind of volume going on in my world. Could it be more? Yes, I'd love more, but you know, we're at least able to, to, to do that much. But what I, what the point that I'm getting at is that when you're talking to people in this space, that you could be 100% of their income that month, they're going to do everything they've got to talk to you into something that you might not need to be, or should, you should not be doing. It's possible. You know, but if you're dealing with ourselves, not, and again, I'm not, not saying that you're not very important. Every single deal is important to us, but you're one fiftieth of my income in that scenario. So we talk to everybody. I talk to everybody. When you have a situation you really are not sure of, and it may not work, we're going to have a real conversation about that because I absolutely need you to be successful in your business. It's not about that one deal for me. It's about deal number 10, because if I got you to number 10, I mean, you are successful as a real estate investor. I'm successful as a lender because I help you get to 10. I'm not successful because I did one and you, and you lost and got hurt. It's I'm successful because we got you to 10. Marco's successful. He got you to 10, 20, 30. That's what makes us successful. So, Getting yourself surrounding yourself with the correct people that understand these principles, tactics and strategies, strategies will change with time. Principles will always stay the same. And if they don't understand these principles and they're giving you just, just whatever thought process they can to get you just close on a deal, regardless of what that deal is, you're, you're, you're putting yourself at risk. You've got to be careful who your team is. You've got to get the right team. And I can I will scream long and loud. Marco and his team are, are some of the best in the industry. Aaron, I really appreciate that. Do you want to wrap this up? I think we covered what we wanted to cover and achieve the goal we wanted to achieve. So, 100%. I want to appreciate the time. Guys, just text me. I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to give a crap. Text me on my personal cell phone, 602-291-3357. Again, 602-291-3357. Text me if you need more details, how to be how to get through some of these things. I'll have my assistant Bree set us up on a call. I'm that passionate about, and I know that's a, a word everybody use about making sure you're successful. I gave you my personal damn cell phone. I need you guys to be successful with this. We've got to change the trajectory of what's happening out there with what with the large behemoths trying to take all that real estate away from us and from your future, your children's future. Aaron, appreciate you coming on the show. Always uh, great chatting with you. So uh, thanks again. Thanks, buddy. And for everybody else listening, a couple things just in wrapping up here. Remember to download our free report on our website, The, the Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. Uh, it'll only take you 30 seconds to do that. If you are interested in learning more about investment property investing, get your free strategy session with my team of investment counselors. Just go to noradarealestate.com. It'll be in the show notes, noradarealestate.com, and get your free strategy session. If you're listening to this show, regardless of where you're listening to it, remember to subscribe. It takes you three seconds to click that button. That way you never miss an episode each and every week. Questions about real estate investing, shoot them over to me. You can do that at our website for the podcast at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com or just ask Marco at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. And last but not least, I'm going to start plugging my social media a little bit more often, but you can follow me on Instagram at Marco G. Santorelli. That's Marco G like George, but it's not George, it's Giovanni. Marco G. Santorelli. And uh, that is it. Thank you for listening today. And we will see you all on our next episode.
Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.